0: Thank you for listening to the Christ the King Church podcast. We exist to help people know, love, and obey Jesus as Lord over all of life. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctksensi.com. Good morning, church. That's what we're going to be talking about today is Jesus Calming a Storm. Um, That clip was taken from the Jesus film, and it, it just hit me when I was sitting here that the movie was filmed in the 70s, so it's about 50 years old. So Jesus is like 80-some years old now. <laughs> it's just kind of hard to, to square that in my mind because I'm just used to seeing this guy, uh, this f- famous, famous movie about the life of Christ. Well, uh, my name is Michael, one of the pastors here. Glad to be with you this morning. We're preaching through the Gospel of Luke each week. And um, actually, I'm in the middle of a bit of a preaching break, uh, so I, have, I had four weeks off, and I'm uh, sliding here this morning, and then I'm going to be off uh, for a couple or a few more weeks. I'll be back in August, uh, back in my normal rhythm. But it's been a good time to get some time off, time with family, vacation. Also, I've been getting a lot of good time with some of you guys. So so between now and August, you'll be hearing from some other leaders, uh, but today, uh, you're stuck with me, and we're talking about Jesus calming a storm. So From this story, we can learn a lot about trusting God, especially when our lives are falling apart and things seem out of control, right? So we're going to see how Jesus calmed the anxiety and the fear of the disciples, and he challenged their faith in the process. And we need this because we live in anxious times, right? According to one estimate that I saw this week, roughly 18% of U.S. adults meet the diagnostic criteria of some kind of anxiety disorder. 18%, that's one in five almost. So most anxiety has to do with some kind of fear. Most fears like fear of the unknown, things that are outside of our control. And so it could be fears about health, fears about the economy, fear of being alone, fear about culture, fear about our children or other people we care about. Now, fear and anxiety aren't the same thing. Fear is like what you feel when there's some specific threat that is coming against you that you're facing it in real time. Anxiety is that feeling that lingers after that, ex- that specific threat isn't there anymore. So the, the, the feeling of anxiety is this feeling that life is fragile and that we're vulnerable and that we may not be safe. That's this anxiety that just sort of lingers. So anxiety, while we're freaking out with this fear and anxiety, Jesus is in control, right? Jesus is sovereign. He has power. and Jesus is not worried about what's going on. Jesus is not freaking out the way we often freak out. He's totally at peace because he's got it all under control. Now that's what we're going to be talking about. So open your Bible. If you have one, we're in Luke chapter eight, Luke chapter eight, and we're going to start at verse 22. So Luke chapter 8, verse 22, begins this way. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out and as they sailed, he fell asleep and a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. We'll stop here. The Sea of Galilee is presumably where they were, and it's a significant body of water. I mean, it's, it's not like Lake Superior or anything like that, but it's about 64 square miles. So it's, it's a decent-sized body of water, and it would take a while to, to sail from one side to the other. But they had professional fishermen on board. I mean, several of the disciples, that was their trade. They were fishermen. They would have known this lake well, crossed it hundreds of times. And yet, in the ancient world, the sea itself was a mystery because there's a lot of unknowns. You didn't have like sonar equipment or submarines or scuba gear. There was nothing, no way that you could really know what was underneath. And you can only see just a few feet below the surface. And everything under that is a mystery. Who knows what sort of creatures could be lurking underneath? So the sea was a scary place, it represented chaos, it was threatening. And so being caught in a storm at sea would have been especially dangerous and especially frightening. So verse 23 tells us there was this storm that came up, throwing the boat every which way, and the boat was filling with water, and so they're in danger. And their worst fear is playing out right now. They're stressed out. They're anxious about this. They're afraid. Everybody except for Jesus, who, it says, he was asleep. Now we see it was It's like this tiny little boat, and that was pretty accurate. I mean, these were not big boats, and you got 13 dudes squeezed onto this boat, and Jesus is just stretched out on a cushion, and he's taking a nap. And that upsets the disciples because they're losing their minds, thinking that they're about to die. And here is Jesus. He's asleep. So let's talk about this for a minute. What does it mean that Jesus was taking a nap on the boat? Um, this nap is, can be an object lesson for us. So I want to make two observations about jesus 's nap, all right The first one is that jesus 's nap demonstrates his humanity. Jesus was a real human being, so why was Jesus sleeping? Because he was tired. The same way we get tired. Jesus got tired because he was a human, so he it 's not as though Jesus in his divine nature was Uh, didn't need any sleep. I mean, he was a physical, real human being. He needed rest. I mean, if you can imagine what his earthly life was like. You think you're busy? You think you've got a packed schedule? I mean, think about all the things that Jesus encountered. He He seemed to be always on the go. He was always teaching. He was healing people. He was ministering to people. And whenever he healed somebody, it cost him something physically. He felt it, right? I mean, the scriptures say, Jesus would say, like, I felt power. Go out from me. Not only that, he was always dealing with conflict. He was constantly opposed. He was threatened, attacked, and he was having to, to defend his ministry and interact with people that were against him. And that, that takes a lot of energy to do that. And it's not just conflict with people. But Jesus also had, at every turn, frequent contact and conflict with the demonic realm, casting out demons and things like that. So it's fair to say that Jesus lived his earthly life frequently on the edge of exhaustion. So we could understand why, if he's got a, a boat ride across the lake, that he would take the opportunity to get some shut Second observation. Jesus' nap demonstrated his complete dependence on God. Complete dependence on God. And so that can be a model for us, because as Christians, like, sleep can be an act of faith. Whenever we go to sleep, what do we do? It's like we, we become unconscious. And to do that, we have to turn the world off and trust that God is going to keep on running things without our input. For those several hours that we sleep. So Jesus went to sleep being fully confident that God was going to keep running the show while he slept and that there was nothing to worry about. He was at peace. He wasn't worried. He could lay down, stretch out, take a nap. When we're asleep though, I mean we're vulnerable. There are things that we're not aware of because we're not conscious. And we know whenever we go to sleep that we're not conscious and it. It can be this thing, it's like, well, whatever I'm worried about, whatever potential bad thing can happen, I have to trust God with that, and I have to set it aside. And that's why some of you don't sleep very well. Imagine a lot of you struggle to get good sleep, and it's because you're anxious, your, your mind races. You toss and you turn. There's always something going on. There's something that you're worried about, something that, that is causing your soul to be unsettled because there's something out there that you can't control. And when you get to the end of the day, you put your head on the pillow and your mind just goes into overdrive. And you're fantasizing and creating scenarios about different things that could go wrong. And then you strategize about how you can prevent those different scenarios from going wrong. Sleep is an act of faith because you have to get the rest that your body needs and your soul needs. And you have to trust that God is in charge. God is running things. So whenever Jesus got tired and he needed rest, he slept because he wasn't worried. God was in control. Psalm 121 says that God neither slumbers nor sleeps. So Jesus can take a nap, but God, the Father, first person of the Trinity, he's always awake. He's always aware and alert, and he's never letting things get out of control. He's he's got his hands on governing the affairs of the world. All right, now verse 24 says this, And they went and woke him. So they had to wake him up, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing! And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And there was calm. So we've got 13 guys squeeze into this boat. Storm comes up. Lots of activity ensues. They're panicked, right? So the boat, it starts taking on water. And now things are really urgent. So they were doing whatever they could to stay alive and keep the boat afloat. And so, you know, as we saw in the video, they were shouting orders at each other. They were grab this, tie that, adjust the sail, move over here, adjust our weight. Whatever they could do, they they were trying to survive the storm by a frenetic activity. So, you know, maybe they would even be trying to scoop water out as the boat was taking on water. Now let me ask you a question. Does all of that activity in itself indicate a lack of faith? What do you think? I don't think so. I don't think that indicates a lack of faith, and I'll tell you why. They were trying to survive a dangerous situation. And it was a dangerous situation. Now, there is an assumption that is pretty common with modern Christians... And that assumption is that trusting God means do nothing and be passive, right? Do nothing and be passive, that's when you know that you're trusting God. Now, that belief has a name, and that name is quietism. Quietism, you can Google it later if you want. But the definition of quietism is this. It's the calm acceptance of things as they are without attempts to resist or change them. That's quietism. Another uh, description says it's a form of mysticism. It's a mystical religious practice that abandons the will and just lets things happen. And that's, that's more of an Eastern religion, more of an Eastern philosophy. It's, it's, it's like just let everything go. Let everything happen. And, of course, as, as Christians, we believe that God created us to exercise dominion, right? That's an active rule where we reshape our environment. And so it isn't wrong that the disciples were trying to survive. If your house is on fire, you're not going to drop your knees and start praying, Lord, I pray that this fire will go out and that we will all be safe. No, you're going to be grabbing your kids and you're going to be getting out of there. Because that's, that's a normal thing to do. And that isn't a lack of faith to do that. So the Christian faith is an active faith. So the disciples had a problem. And Jesus questions their faith. But the problem was not their effort to survive the storm. It's, it's something else. So what, what was their lack of faith? What was Jesus talking about when he questions them? Where is your faith? What is the problem Jesus is getting at? Well, verse 24, you have one of the disciples saying, Master, we are perishing. So there's a a sense that this disciple believed that it's over, we're we're gonna die. Now we get a little bit more color from Mark's account, Mark chapter 4, verse 38. He quotes one of the disciples saying this, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now that's a problem. That is a problem. That's where they lacked faith. They lacked faith because they were assuming that Jesus didn't care about their problems. And if Jesus doesn't care about their problems, then they're going to perish. He's just going to let him die. And so there's this accusation, or at least a revealing of a heart posture of accusing Jesus of indifference. Do you see that? They accused him of being aloof, detached, distant, unconcerned. That was the accusation. Now, if that's what you think of God, if you think that God is aloof, distant, unconcerned, doesn't care about your life and your problems then you're not going to trust him. If you think God doesn't care about you or your problems, that is a weak faith. And if you have weak faith, you're not going to trust him in those problems because if God isn't looking out for you, you've got to look out for yourself. It's all up to you. God doesn't care. And if God doesn't care, then it's all on you. So you've got to figure it out somehow. Now, if the disciples were acting this way on the boat, thinking that Jesus didn't care and what they were doing, that activity represented a, a sense that Jesus was indifferent. Now, that is a big problem. Frankly, that w- that, that's an insult to God. Would it? Is it not? Is that not an insult to God? Just think, like, if you want to treat God with contempt... If you want to show hatred towards God, then tell him he doesn't care about his children. Tell God he's aloof. Tell God he's unconcerned. Tell God he's a bad father. Accusing God of not caring about the well-being of his children, that's something we must never do. And really, we know that this is true of any father, any father who loves his children. Any father that loves his children, now he may not be a perfect dad. He may may screw up a lot. He may make mistakes. He may lose his patience. He may be a flawed and failed father in a number of ways. But to accuse that man of not loving his children, of not caring about the well-being of his children, if he's a good father, he will be very insulted by that. So, they, they wake Jesus up, and he demonstrates that he does care about them. I mean, I think if they, they, if they just calmly just nudged him, hey, Jesus, uh, we're getting kind of wet here. Uh, Peter's seasick, throwing up overboard. Would you mind calming things down? And I think they probably would have gotten the same result. They didn't have to accuse him of indifference to, to wake him up and ask him to address the situation. So they woke Jesus up. He rebuked the wind. Jesus rebuked the waves and instantly calm, peaceful, quiet. With just a word, everything stopped. Seemingly as though nothing had happened just a minute before. Clouds parted. Winds died down. The waves stilled. Sun came out. Quiet. It's over. It, it seemed effortless. As we saw in the, in, the, in the clip there, it seemed effortless. And of course, they, they, it's, it's cinema, right? So Jesus kind of dramatically stands there, extends his hand, you know, so everybody knows, hey, I'm doing something really sweet here. Uh, so he extends his hand, and then it just stops. I mean, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a powerful moment where Jesus just demonstrates this command over the wind and the waves. It, it's, it's effortless as though the wind and the waves were just being too rowdy. You know, like, uh, you know, dad turning, his, turning around in the car when he's driving, like, hey, kids, knock it down. Hey, cool it. Quiet. It happened. Of course, if you're Jesus, your kids do that. If the rest of us, the kids just keep making noise. But in Jesus' case, it they, they just died down immediately. It's quiet. They obeyed him. They didn't talk back. They didn't argue. They obeyed perfectly. And so then Jesus turns to his disciples, and they've seen that look in Jesus' eye before. They're like, oh, gosh, (laughs) we're in trouble. Uh, And Jesus says, where is your faith? Everything they were freaking out about, all the worst case scenarios, they're thinking about their wives, their children, they're thinking about the pain of drowning, they're thinking about these terrible things one minute prior. It was consuming them entirely. And now, oh, yeah, that's right, Jesus is here and he calmed it and it's all cool now. Just like that, it's over. It evaporated. And I mean, that's the way these things often go, don't they? It's like, there's probably something, at least with many of us, that right now you're freaking out about. There's some worry, there's some, some painful dread that you came in here with this morning. And right now, it's all-consuming. But in a relatively short period of time, you're gonna find out, oh, that, that thing worked itself out, and it's fine now. And yet, for a period of time, it was everything. It was, it was taking over your life. And the worst-case scenario actually doesn't happen. And you find out that you spent all this time and energy fretting about something that never came to pass. Well, here's another thing. We we have, as humans, such a limited perspective. I mean, we, we see and experience what happens. And we might be able to anticipate a couple of things that might happen. But all we really know is what actually happens and from that limited perspective, a couple of things that might happen. But think about this. We never know and God never tells us All of the life-altering, horrific things that could have happened, and maybe almost did happen, but didn't happen because he stopped it. You ever think about that? There's a line in C.S. Lewis, I didn't have the time to look it up this week, but in the Narnia books. It's like Aslan was telling the kids I got, or you know, he you never know what, what what could have happened. Like that's just that's above our pay grade. We don't get to know that. We just get to know what happens and who to trust with what happens, but we never get to ask what could have been. And the thing is, is that you have no idea, we have no idea how many times God has sent angels or other, in some other way. He prevented something that would have wrecked you. And as far as you know, nothing. You have no idea that that, that, that he prevented that. And so that's where faith comes in. We, by faith, trust that God is active in all these different situations. We are so incredibly blessed. On the whole, we are so blessed. God is so good to us. And we experience relatively few calamities in life. And any calamity that we do experience is not an injustice. It is... It is The fallen world. So it looks like from our perspective that there are these random chaotic forces out there in the world that could do us harm. And in the ancient world, that's what the sea was. They're out there in this random chaotic force, this force of chaos, untamed and wild and dangerous force, the ocean. And then they're out in the ocean and it's this wind storm is kicking things up and everything just seems crazy and out of control and like it's going to end and it's terrible. And then with barely a word, Jesus subdued it with his limitless power. It's done. He was not worried for a nanosecond. So then, verse 25, he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? Now, verse 25, there are two questions here, two questions. Jesus asks the first one. The disciples ask the second one. So we'll, we'll deal with these independently. First question, where is your faith? Fair question. Jesus implies that their faith was lacking and that they freaked out because they thought that either Jesus didn't care or Jesus didn't have the power. But it seems like he was, they were freaking out because they thought he didn't care. So where was their faith? What were they trusting in? What did they actually believe was going on in that moment? If we don't believe God is in control, if we don't believe God cares about us and our problems, then we will be like the disciples, anxious, afraid, freaking out. Why? Because we think there's something bad, chaotic, random, out of control out there. And then God either can't do anything about it, or he wouldn't care enough to do something about it. That's a a weak faith. And if you think that, then... It's all up to me. I'm the only one who actually cares about this situation, so it's up to me to fix it. And so we kick into overdrive, trying to work ourselves to the bone to fix it, or we shut down and we go into our shell just in in a protective turtle mode. That's what a lack of faith looks like. God doesn't care. I have to face this nightmare all by myself. So staying on this question, where is your faith? I want to give you some practical ways to diagnose a weak faith. Practical ways to diagnose a weak faith. And we're going to need to turn over to Matthew 6 for uh, three verses. And then after that, when we get to the second question, I'll show you a remedy for this. Okay? So here are four ways you can diagnose a faith deficit. Number one, you are filled with anxiety. You're filled with anxiety. That's a classic indicator of weak faith. Is a, it's a heart that is filled with anxiety. So if, if you play out doomsday scenarios in your mind, and you're always worried about preventing them, that's an indicator of a weak faith. Now, Matthew 6, 25, this is what Jesus said. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Filled with anxiety. Number two, you try to fix or control things that are beyond your control. You try to fix or control things that are beyond your control. Meaning that you soothe your anxiety with effort. You're trying to fix it. You're doubling down. So it, it's, a, it's like a self-medication technique for anxiety. So whenever your anxiety is kicked up, you're worried about something, and that thing is really beyond your control, but you're still trying to devote activity, time and energy and effort to fixing that thing, even though you can't ultimately do anything about it. And you do it, we do it to make ourselves feel better. I do this. this, this that's, that's more my go-to move. Um, under some other, others of you, you get overwhelmed and you shut down. For me, it's like my activity increases when I'm stressed. Jesus said this in the next verse. This is Matthew 6, 26. Look at the birds of the air. Okay, here's an example, case study. Look at the birds of the air. What do they do? They're not working themselves to death to eat, are they? They neither sow, so they're not... Plow in a field, nor reap. They don't gather a harvest, nor gather into barns. They're not storing up for the future. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Birds get to eat, not because of the effort they put in, but because they have a God that cares about an animal, a bird. Something comparatively insignificant to a human soul. And then Jesus finishes this way. Are you not of more value than they? What's he mean by that? He cares, doesn't he? God cares about your problems. God cares about the things you're worried about. He cares about the things that are hurting you, that are kicking your anxiety into overdrive. He sees it. He knows it. He has power over it. He cares about it. And there is not a thing that happens that is outside of his control. Nothing is random about it. You have infinite more value than birds. And our Father cares for them. I was stressed about a home project a while back. And I did this. I got. I was really stressed out about it. And I was my anxiety kicked up a lot of activity and so i'm watching youtube videos about how to do different home projects trying to learn new skills and stuff and then i'm switching in my browser to the home depot page and i'm like you know putting stuff in my cart making sure i have this and just like just all kinds of stuff well i might need that and we put that in my cart i might need that too and i put that in my cart it's and i'm like but it was like a thing it's like i'll get there when i get there but i but it was just kicking up a lot of anxiety And there was just this, I was trying to fix something that was beyond my control. For a lot of Christians, when our faith is weak, that's what happens. We become more self-reliant because we don't trust that God is going to watch out for us. Here's number three, you don't pray. You don't pray. If you're so busy worrying about your problems and you're so busy trying to fix them that you don't have time to pray, that's an indicator of a weak faith. It's going that you're relying on yourself and your effort more than on God, who has the power, ultimately has the power. Jesus said, Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added to you. Listen, the, the bigger your problems are, the more we need to seek God and his kingdom in prayer the bigger the problems, the more that should drive us to prayer. But if your problems get big and then you just kick up activity rather than prayer, that's a weak faith. It's a weaker faith. I knew this woman once who she had a wayward son, worried sick about this kid. And that worry transformed her into a mighty prayer warrior because she just, she just hit her knees and went to the Lord in prayer all the time, all the time, worried about her son. Like that's, that's what problems can do. They, they can drive us to the Lord, drive us in prayer. All right, here's the fourth one, if you can't sleep. If you can't sleep because you're worried, it's an indicator of a weak faith. I know for me, whenever I get this way, it's, it's something that, it's like my brain just goes. I can't, I can't stop it. <laughs> it just, I just worry about stuff, and, and I can't just say, oh, stop worrying. Oh, okay, it's that easy, and then go to sleep. It doesn't work that way. Uh, for me, a lot of times, my sleeplessness drives me to prayer. And so whenever I'm like this and I'm trying to sleep, it's like I have to stop and pray. Sometimes I have to stop and get up and pray. When things have been really intense in my life, I've stopped, got up, and I've gone outside, and I've walked around the neighborhood and prayed in the middle of the night. Like those, things, It's like we... We, we sleep and, and faith sleep and trust uh, those things go together alright I said a minute ago there were two questions Jesus asked the first one where's your faith and in their case their faith was in themselves uh, so here's the, the other question uh, which is the question that the disciples asked so here's what they said verse 25 they said who then is this that he commands even winds and water and they obey him they knew it was It's Jesus. They know Jesus, but they weren't asking what's his name and what's his hometown. They were asking, who is this that can do that insane thing that we just watched go down? Who's that? And the answer is still Jesus, right? Jesus, but not just Jesus of Nazareth, son of Mary and Joseph, but Jesus, the creator Jesus, the one who formed the universe. Jesus, the one who hurled the planets into distant space, who hung galaxies in the sky. Jesus, who invented water and wind and atmospheric pressure. And Jesus, who created trees that are cut down to make make boats uh, out of wood. Jesus, who created the mountains around around Galilee and then filled the basin with water and stocked it full of fish. Every force of nature is under his authority. There is no chaos. There is no such thing as random. Everything is within his power. He controls all of it. So nothing in all creation is outside the scope of his power. And that includes whatever problems you brought in here with you today. There's nothing that's outside of his power. Nothing. And guess what? He cares for you. He cares for you. He cares about your problems. And he's mustering all of that power, all of that strength, all of that sovereign control for your good. Now, that doesn't mean the problems will disappear. It means that the problems are an occasion for him to break through and to bring about whatever good he wants to bring about in your life whose problems may be a vehicle of your sanctification, and that's a good thing because he cares for you. He cares about your ultimate good, your highest good, not just for what is most comfortable in the moment. So you can trust him that whatever comes to pass is, is, comes to pass because he is doing something ultimately good. 1 Peter 5, verse 6 and 7. You know this, you know this verse? What does he say? 1 Peter 5, 6, famous verse. What does he say? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all, all, all your anxieties on him. Why? Why should I do that, God? Why should I cast all my anxieties on you? Because he cares for you. That's why. He cares for you. So this text invites us to put our faith in this man. This man. Jesus of Nazareth, Master, Savior, moment by moment. So here are three things you can do to grow your faith. And it's basically a reversal of the list I mentioned earlier. Number one, pray that God will strengthen your faith. Pray for God to strengthen your faith. You could pray the prayer of Mark 9, 24. Remember that story where there's this desperate father who comes to Jesus. He needed his help. And he said, I believe, help my unbelief. Meaning my faith is in the right place, but I need it to get stronger. Help my unbelief. Listen, Jesus will answer that prayer. Jesus delights to answer that prayer. It is a God-honoring, God-glorifying prayer to pray and thing to do. And while you're praying, thank God for all of his blessings and all the ways that he has already demonstrated his care for you and all the good gifts that he's given to you. One of the ways that you can pray is pray through Scripture. So let me give you, if you want to write these down, I've got eight Psalms to mention to you here. And you can read and meditate and pray on these eight Psalms. So here are four that are about God's power and control. Psalm 29, 65, 104, and 121. God's power, Psalm 29, 65, 104, and 121. Just a sampling. Here are four more psalms about God's care for you. God's care for you. Psalm 23, 24, 63, 139. 24 is the one we read earlier. 23, 24, 63, 139. Those are psalms. Take those and just... Meditate on God. Fix your hope. Cast your anxiety on Him. Think about His goodness and His love. Number two, repent of specific things that you're trying to control that you need to surrender. Repent of specific things you're trying to control that you need to surrender. So we talked about this a moment ago. I'm not saying be passive. I'm not saying stop doing everything. I'm saying like there are areas, and you, this is where you'll need prayer and the leading of the Holy Spirit. God will show you, you know, these activities are good, and, but over here, these activities are where you're lacking faith. You're trying to do things that are outside of your control. The Spirit will guide you. So ask the Holy Spirit to show you where you're self-medicating your anxiety by being busy, being a control freak. It takes a healthy faith to recognize your limits. Make, like, okay, I've done all I can do. And I'm trusting God, and God's going to get his way and leave it at that. That, that, that is a healthy faith. Here's a third point get some sleep. Get some sleep. If the Son of God needed to slow down enough to take a nap, maybe you can too. I'm not a napper, I don't nap. If I, if I try to sleep in the middle of the day, I just wake up grouchy. <laughs> so for me, it's like I got to get my sleep at night because during the daytime, uh, I, don't, I, I, just, I don't do well with naps. So as a spiritual discipline, prioritize getting the rest you need. So it could be just simple things like, you know, as the evening wears on, turn off your phone, social media, whatever, whatever it is that might be a trigger for anxiety and get to bed. Go to bed early if you have to. Because sleep is a gift. It is a gift. Going to sleep can be an act of faith. You know, Psalm 127 says, He gives to his beloved sleep. He gives us sleep. It's a gift. I heard somebody say once, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. That's wise counsel. And our human need for sleep is a reminder that we can't do it all. We have to trust God and stop and sleep. And let the world go on and knowing that Jesus is in complete control and that Jesus cares about us and our problems. One last word. The greatest indicator of both his power and his love is demonstrated at the cross. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In his death, it was more than a nap. <laughs> when he died, he laid in a tomb dead for three days cut off from the world that he came to save. And yet in his resurrection, he demonstrated the greatest power of all, the power over death and hell. And all this power, power of, of over, over death, the power of, over hell, all that power was summoned on your behalf because he cares for you. There's no greater peace than we can know than that. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, we we magnify you as the one who has the power to calm storms and tell the wind and the waves to be still, and they obey you. And Lord, if we were to read all the Psalms that I mentioned earlier, we see that the Old Testament and in the Psalms clearly portray that is a divine power that God, Yahweh, alone has. And so in this one Psalm, we see your humanity and your divinity. And we see all of it was for the sake of your people because you care for us. Thank you, Jesus, for your care for us. You love us. You have not abandoned us. You watch over us. And we thank you that we know that because we see it in the gospel. That Christ laid down his life for us and gave up his comfort, and you took on all of our problems at once, when you died in our place. And so, Jesus, lift up our hearts to you. Strengthen our faith to believe in you, and not only in your power, but in your love. Now, as we come to the table and we celebrate the meal that you have prepared for us, feed us, Lord. We ask all this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We are Christ the King Church. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctksnc.com.